the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. The word of the Lord. A reading from Isaiah 58, 6 to 12. Is, this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> Andy, you're doing a wonderful job. You will get asked back. <laughs> Hope is not believing in that which we can see, feel, and understand. It's the belief in the unseen, the faithful longing for the not yet. Hope brings light to darkness. Hope brings comfort in times of trial. Hope is on the horizon, but it's not on a horizon that will forever be a whisper away from us being able to reach it. The reality of hope is something that we can experience. It's something that many of us today have experienced. It's something that we wait patiently for as we enter into a period in the year known as Advent. My message this morning is not your traditional straight-down-the-line Advent, pre prepare the way for the Lord, Christmas is coming message. If you wanted that one, then ask someone who is at the 9am service to tell you what I shared with them there. I went traditional for that one. 
Our readings today are rammed full of hope. But not just that, they are overflowing with great acts of significance. I wonder if I stood in front of you now without having had those two passages wonderfully read already for us by Joe and asked you to tell me a raising of the dead story, which one would you recite back to me? I would hazard a guess that I would hear Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, and perhaps even Jesus himself. But rarely, when I ask that question, do people pipe up with the story of the widow of Nain, whose son, Jesus, raised from the dead. The story is only told in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke's account, this was the first time a person had been raised from the dead. And yet, the most significant miracle that Jesus performs is sandwiched between the story of the centurion and Jesus' first encounter with John the Baptist. I find it wonderfully encouraging that Jesus, God on earth, finds himself almost passing an insignificant backwater that only features once in the Bible, and yet he stops and, filled with compassion, becomes part of something of great significance. As far as raising the dead stories goes, this is a pretty short account, so let's remind ourselves of it. Soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village, some say town, of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart was overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. There are a few things that you should know about the widow of Nain's son. Though we don't know anything about him except that he was dead and brought back to life by Jesus, the original language has more clues about this man's story. Luke tells us that the dead man was the only son of his mother. The word translated as only in that passage is the Greek word monogenus. Monogenus means only born or only begotten child. That's the same word used to describe Jesus, right, and his connection to God. Jesus is God's monogenus, only begotten son. Monogenus has a special meaning in the Bible. It denotes a unique relationship between parent and child, a special connection. When Jesus spoke to the young man, the word he used was the Greek word neoniskos. Neoniskos was used to refer to a youth under the age of 40. We can assume then that the widow's son would have been at an age to be of great help to his mother. What was it about this only son of the widow of pretty insignificant name that stirred Jesus' compassion? Did he see shades of himself in her story. The Bible doesn't say. What it does say is that Jesus spoke to the widow, touched the coffin, and spoke to the young man, raising him from the dead. And this interaction between Jesus and the widow of Nain has three lessons for us today. I'm in a Church of England church, so we're going with three. Number one, it's also good, isn't it, when people go with three, because you know when they're coming to the end. Number one, 
God has compassion on us. This by no means is by no means the first time in Scripture that God has been moved to compassion for his people. The book of Matthew, for example, is rife with examples of the compassion of Christ. But God's compassion for his people is not just a New Testament thing. Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 describes how since the first moment sin entered the Garden of Eden, God has had compassion on his people and his mercy remains the same. Secondly, oh, we're on number two already. Secondly, when Jesus saw the widow of Nain following her son's funeral bear, he could have kept on going about his business. After all, he and his father had put plans in place for the care of the widow. Check out Deuteronomy 15 and 24 for more on that. But you see, Jesus could have walked away and left the care of the childless widow to those in her community. Instead, he stopped what he was doing to offer her a word of comfort. And he said, don't cry. But he didn't end the conversation there. He took specific actions to stop her tears or to at least turn them into happy ones. He spoke life to the widow's son and raised him from the dead. Number three, we're there already. <laughs> God would and does move heaven and earth for us. God's love for us is reckless in the sense that he's completely unconcerned with the consequences of his actions with regards to his own safety, his own comfort, and his own well-being. We see some of that unconcern for himself in this story. Jesus wanted to impact the widow of Nain's life in a positive way, and he was willing to risk ceremonial uncleanliness to do so. According to Mosaic law, anyone who touched a dead body would be unclean for seven days. Being unclean meant that they would not be able to enter the tabernacle, which was a pretty big deal at the time. The priests at the time did everything they could to prevent even the appearance of being unclean. But here was Jesus, willing to risk being ceremonially unclean for this widow of insignificant Nain. He was not concerned that his actions could lead him to not being allowed into the temple. He wasn't. Before Jesus showed up for the widow of Nain, things looked bleak. As a widow, she would have been dependent on her children to take care of her. As we know from this biblical account, she only had one child, and he was dead. Now the widow of Nain had no one to count on. In order to support herself, she would have had to find someone's field to glean in, much as Ruth did when she and Naomi returned to Bethlehem. Since we don't know how old the widow of Nain was, we don't know how difficult this activity would have proven to be for her. Thankfully, she didn't have to figure that out. She didn't have to figure out how she would support herself because Jesus inserted himself into her story. Love the story that Andy told at the beginning. A story of Jesus inserting himself into our story. Friends, God is willing to be part of your story. Are you willing to let him in? 
So what does the story of the widow's son have to do with us here today in Clubmore? What does it have to do with us at the network as we press on in our mission to affect change in the lives of those we're purposed to work alongside, as we determine to continue to play our part in designing out poverty in the communities that we serve. It has everything to do with where we're at today. Advent is a season of waiting, expectant of something powerful, something that is not only life-changing, but world-changing. And as Christmas lands, that which we're expecting comes amongst us. Not born into a palace, a place of great significance, king of the world, but born into poverty, born literally surrounded by crap, born one of us, God incarnate, and yet a seemingly insignificant bundle of joy, bouncing into a seemingly insignificant backwater. Bethlehem. Jesus didn't become Jesus of the world, but Jesus of a locality, Jesus of Nazareth. And in following his example from birth through to his wanderings past in significant places like Nain to his death and resurrection, we are called, we are resourced, and we are released to live out a life that has been set before us in Isaiah 58. And I just want to read those words to you once more. Isaiah 58 from verse 6 says, Is is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. This is a life committed to being part of significant, God-ordained, life-changing acts within places that the world forgets, places of seeming insignificance. And that is what the story of the widow's son has to do with us today. It is a reminder to us, a 
call on our lives as we use the season of Advent, Advent to hit the spiritual reset button and step into the promise from God that together as people of God, as church, as a network of people committed to affecting change in localities, perhaps places of insignificance, we will see significant things take place. We will see our light break forth like the dawn. We will see healing quickly appear. Our light will rise in the darkness and our night will become like the noonday. We will be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. I'm up for being part of that kind of significance. Are you? Let's pray. In preparing for this morning's services, I felt deeply convicted that today is a moment in which God will do something significant in our lives that will have significant consequences for those we find ourselves alongside. So in the next few moments, can I encourage you to be open, to be open to that. For a season, I spent a couple of Sundays a month chatting to young people in a youth offending institute not too far from here who were on a wing that meant that they couldn't engage with activities in the chaplaincy. They were naughty boys. One one young person asked me once, and I shared this with Harry earlier this week, one young person asked me once, Rich, how do you know God exists? Some of you will answer, Uh, And my answer was simple. My answer was this. Well, mate, how do you know the wind exists? His answer was, because you can feel it. Some of you will, and maybe you already are, feeling something different right now. It's not some mystical thing, some strange thing that we're hyping up here. It's quite simply this. It's God. It's God wanting to be part of your story, wanting to be the most significant thing in your life. And we have the space here, we have the opportunity right now to respond to God in three ways. And so as our eyes are closed and our hearts, our heads are bowed and our hearts are open, here are the three ways that we can respond to God this morning. Firstly, by welcoming him into our lives, in on our stories, perhaps for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, or afresh once more. And I want to pause there, because I do believe that as We've bundled our way through this service this morning. God stepped beyond starting late. Words not being quite right. Me trying to drag an in-ear monitor machine off the stage with me. God's been doing something in your heart. God is real. 
and like the wind, you felt him this morning. So I want to give space whilst Sai is playing beautifully in the background, whilst everyone's heads are down, whilst our eyes are closed. I want to give you space to respond to that story for the first time, to that story of significance, to ask God to come into your life. I want some of that that Rich is talking about. I want some of that significance in my life. I want some of that purpose. I want those things that I can't quite explain to be answered because because the answer is God. is resonating with you in any way not going to make you do anything embarrassing or awkward just sometimes good to show God that an outward sign that we're we're there we're responding to him so maybe just hold your hands out in front of you open accepting God into your life Perhaps it's been a while. The frustrations of life, the distractions of life, the worries, the strains and the stresses have kind of bumped you off of significance. Well, God's here. He's always been here. He's always been there. And he's here for you right now. And he wants to do something significant with you right now. If that's you, and you want to come back to him, do it. Wait, take the moment, take this opportunity. And if you're a seasoned God follower, it's always good, isn't it, to remind ourselves that he's at the head, he's, he's in charge. Nothing that we do through this church or through the network is going to have great significance unless God is right in front of it all. So now's an opportunity to commit yourself afresh to putting God right in the centre of everything that you are about. The second way that God wants to do something significant in your lives this morning is through the releasing of that which blocks us from realising a life of significance with God at the head those things that weigh down on us so that we can't realise that fullness of life that we can have with God, that love that Andy talked about. And and God's doing it right now. He's doing it right now, but we need to open our hearts to him and, and ask him in, more Lord, release us break the chains of injustice in our lives release those burdens take away that which stops us from stepping into the fullness of life with you a life full of significance
And thirdly, God wants to release something significant through us. There is an anointing specifically for that for a number of us here today. In a moment, Andy and anyone else who wants to be part of the gang really are going to be available at the front to pray those anointing prayers over you. Those anointing prayers for those who feel that God is calling them to be released into something significant, to step out in faith into a season of great significance. Before we have some more music and have a, a time, open time for you to come forwards and respond to anything that you've heard this morning or anything that you feel God's put on your heart this morning. I want to pray specifically for those people who responded right at the beginning, those people who responded for the first time to that story of significance to God, who wants to step into your lives, who wants to be at the head of your lives. If you uh, felt the call to respond to that for the first time, for the first time in a long time, or afresh, I have a prayer for you to, to say in your heart now. You don't need to say it out loud. I'm going to read it nice and slowly. And, it, and here's an opportunity for you to own these words. And again, you might want to hold your hands out in front of you as an acknowledgement that you're joining in with this. Dear God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you have a good plan and purpose for my life. I'm sorry for doing things my way. I realize now that my, my sin, my wrongdoings have hurt you and the people around me. And for this, I am truly sorry. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me and took the punishment for my sin. Please forgive me and help me now. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, as I decide to live only for you. Amen. that second point I said about God releasing some significant things, releasing some things from you so that you can step into that life of significance. Helen and Harry read those words beautifully before us at the beginning of the service. And here are some words from that uh, set of words that they used um, to use as a prayer for those of you who feel that you need something releasing from you this morning so you can be released into that life of significance. And the words are, so come to him all who are broken. Come to him all who are lost. Come to him all who are alone, who are worried, who are orphans. Come to him and hear him whisper to you a new name. Hear him invite you into his family. Hear God himself say to you, you are my child. continue in a attitude place of prayer with some, with some songs that we sung 
but we just want to leave space this morning. The Advent season is about space. It's about waiting. It's about resetting. And there's an opportunity this morning to, in the space, to respond to that, that which God has been speaking to you about this morning. But ultimately, to that, respond to that message of significance. God wants to do something significant in your lives this morning and from today. So go for it.